Well, good morning. Welcome to Perspectives from WFSU Public Media. I'm Tom Flanagan. You are always welcome to join the conversation at 850-414-1234 or pop us an email, perspectives at wfsu.org. Well, so far this year, if you've been following the news, there have been a total of 31 shootings in Tallahassee that have left nine people dead and 17 injured. And in most of these cases, a young person under the age of 25 is believed to have pulled the trigger. And at the same time in our community, housing prices in Tallahassee, whether bought or rented, have skyrocketed, partially as a result, of course, of the pandemic, but also market forces beyond our control and a number of some local considerations that have to be taken into account. But listen to this. If you're in the market to buy housing at the moment, the median price of a house in Tallahassee is now hovering around the quarter of a million dollar mark. And for rental properties, the average Tallahassee apartment is now going for just under $1,500 a month. And that's also a significant rise from just last year. These issues, youthful gun violence and affordable housing, are the two key concerns of the Capital Area Justice Ministry. And that's a coalition of nearly 20 local faith communities dedicated to rousing more of the community including, and perhaps most specifically, our local elected officials, to address these issues head on. So we have some of the leadership of the coalition with us today here on Perspectives. And uh, let's go around the table and meet them, shall we? We'll start off with uh, Father Hugh Chapman, pastor of St. Michael's Episcopal Church. He is uh, a vice president of the Capital Area Justice Ministry and uh, sits on the gun violence criminal justice strategy team. And Father Chapman, it is good to have you on. Thank you very much. Right next door to you, we say hi to Reverend A.J. Mueller, pastor of Fellowship Presbyterian Church, co-chair of the Gun Violence Criminal Justice Committee. And uh, Reverend, good to see you too, sir. Good to see you too. All righty. Next door, uh, we find, uh, let's see, this is Bob Apgar, member of Faith Presbyterian, co-chair of the Housing Committee, who joins us here on Perspectives. Bob, good to see you. Thanks. Glad to be here. We have also Elder Maurice Allen, elder at Life Changers Church of God in Christ and housing strategy team member from up there on High Road. Good to see you, sir. You too. Good morning. Uh, We have, I guess, one of the spark plugs, if we can use that, uh, Pastor. Uh, Reverend James Houston, uh, Houston, who is pastor of Bethelonia AME. You are the uh, co-president with Rabbi Shields, who's right next door here, and housing strategy team member. But you kind of kicked this thing off, didn't you? Yes, sir. I did. I did. We um, got together in about 2018 with our organizer, and we built it from there. Started very simply. And then we had a great meeting in uh, 2019 of clergy from the community that got together and we decided we would, we would venture into this capital area justice ministry. It's such a great concept, but you know, shared power is also a, a, a very strong factor behind this, not just with the pastors, but also the laity of these congregations. And you have a co-president in the persona of Rabbi Michael Shields from Temple Israel. And Rabbi, good to see you, sir. Good to see you. 
All right, and on the phone, we also have uh, Sister Centuria, also of Bethalonia. And uh, Sister Centuria, it is a delight to have you on, too. Thank you for having me, Tom. Well, let's start off here again. We heard a little bit of how this all got started, but there are so many issues of note and of importance in our community. How did the decision come about to focus primarily on the criminal justice, the youthful gun violence in particular aspect, and also affordable housing? Who wants to take that one? How did that get started? I'll take that one, Tom. Okay, Rabbi. (laughs) How did it get started for $50? Here we go. Um, So, you know, it really was a collaborative process, a democratic process. So the congregations were meeting kind of within their own teams and pods. They started with a core team and those folks kind of came together. At the same time, they were building out a network within their congregation, but they came together and narrowed down from I think we had 13 or 14 possible issues and we narrowed it down to six, five and a half, six issues and then we had our first network assembly, our team network assembly in November, and there we went through that process of discernment again. And so basically everybody who had committed to the ministry as a network member had a vote, and we went through a democratic process to narrow down to the two issues, not that we will only focus on, but that we start with in our inaugural year. Okay, so that's going to be like the initial focus then. And, uh, yeah, go, go ahead, Reverend Houston. Yeah, what we did when we had those meetings, we focused on one central question. What keeps you up at night? And from the congregation and from the community, we heard their issues, and we took those issues and we studied them, and we were able to narrow it down to the two that we eventually came up with. And the community had issues that needed to be addressed, and that's how we got to where we are. Okay, now it's not just amongst the the pastors and the congregations, though, that this type of focus is going to be taking place. I believe there is also going to be a major event that's coming up here on April 5th, right down the road from where we sit right now at the uh, old uh, West Florida Enrichment Center on Lake Bradford Road that is called the Nehemiah Action Grouping, and that is going to bring in some participation of the community at large and elected officials, too. This is going to be, what, the first big event uh, that the uh, the coalition is going to have. And, uh, Elder, talk about that. Hey, that's correct. We're going to get together on April 5th for the Nehemiah Action. And these are going to be people whom we met with during all of these housing um, strategy meetings. And we got together with those people and we listened to their stories. And in those stories, we found out what was important to them, uh, some of the heartstring uh, felt messages that were told um, in those housing strategy meetings. And that that Nehemiah convention is going to be filled with those people. These stories are the stories that we're representing today in the housing, um, affordable housing committee and also gun violence committee. These are their stories. These are the the stories of those people um, who told uh, their, their what keeps them up at night, what makes them angry. These are the things that, that they wanted representation for. We didn't just um, pull the uh, two 
um, subjects out of the air, but this is the stories of the people. These are the stories of the Tallahassee community. And besides just members of the community, I think you have also extended an invitation to local elected officials on both the city and the, the county level. And uh, Reverend Houston, maybe defer back to you. You've gotten some confirmations already, right? Uh, yes, we have confirmation from our mayor and um, the, uh, the deputy city manager, uh, State Attorney Jack Campbell, Police Chief Revel, they've been invited, uh, County Commissioner Sheriff Walt McNeil, and we invited the uh, Superintendent of Schools. Now, we've gotten some confirmations back. We sent the inv- invitations to them, but we got Mayor Daly, uh, Jack Porter, Curtis Richardson, Sheriff McNeil, uh, Jack Campbell, and we have from the Tallahassee Police Department, an executive assistant. I don't know that name. Okay, uh, but we will find out and we will let you know, but that will be uh, taking place again April 5th, starting at 6 o'clock, the Old West Florida Enrichment Center on Lake Bradford Road, and that will be open to everyone. People can, can just come and hear what goes on and get any kind of commitment from local elected officials to do more than what is already being done in this regard. Is that the idea? A little bit of pressure? A little, uh, let's see, what we call this lobbying at the Capitol, I think, is the term that we would use for that. Well, we're just going to ask questions, and we will like to have direct answers. And the questions will be centered around the two action points that we're going to try to make. Uh, gun violence and affordable housing. Okay, let's let's start with gun violence here. And and Father Chapman, you sit on the gun violence, the criminal justice committee there. What were some of the key findings of the committee in regards to what is causing so many, especially our our young, you know, African American males, to uh, have conflict resolution at the end of a gun? How does that happen? Well. We have a situation where we we feel that there is too much weapons out there, first of all. Uh, people are not careful enough with the storing of those weapons. In the news just recently, I think it was reported that some 50 cars were broken and entered into and weapons were removed. So we have a situation where... Um, we think that guns are too accessible. But it goes much deeper than that because in some of the communities we have where conflict is resolved by violent means, a gun is pulled. And tragically, that's done by teenagers, 16-year-olds. Now, we can, we, we can wonder where to get the guns from but it's not really a mystery. Those guns are for sale on the streets. And it's so easy to, to blame the police that you know they're too ready to resort to the violent means of resolving conflicts. But the fact of the matter is, these guns are there in the community. And so we have to address that. And that's what we want to talk about on April 5th, because we are all culpable here. Those of us who know that guns um, are available, people can get them, we need to make sure that, that gun owners are held responsible as well. 
So it's a very sad story for all of us that we have situations where young people having access to guns decide that that's how they're going to resolve conflicts amongst themselves. And that's what our research has been showing is too much of that. We are talking with uh, the leadership of the Capital Area Justice Ministry here on Perspectives, and we invite your comment or question at 850-414-1234 or drop us an email, perspectives at wfsu.org. Perspectives always available for you online at WFSU.org. We archive each and every show in its entirety. It's typically up within a day or so online of when it actually airs on the radio for the first time. So you can check it out and listen back to it again and again. Uh, Capital Area Justice Ministry folks here with us. And uh, Reverend A.J. Mueller from Fellowship Presbyterian. Uh, Following up on, on what Father Chapman just said here about the issue of youthful gun violence and, of course, not making it easier to perpetuate that kind of situation by uh, storing our Glocks under our front seat and then leaving the door of the car open. Fifty-three of these types of situations just last month, according to local law enforcement. Beyond that, what else can the community and its elected leadership do to address this issue? Well, to be effective. Uh, Gun violence reduction uh, needs to be well-funded. It uh, needs to work with a national evidence-based organization and coordinated uh, by a local office dedicated to violence reduction. And so that's what we're going to be honing in on with our uh, action request uh, in a couple weeks is we have these uh, organizations currently that are kind of piecemeal put together and there's not – such as uh, the, the Tempo program and the now defunct Peacemakers uh, organization. And both of those were doing good work, but we need to uh, work together and have a uh, an office dedicated to that reduction. We need to, I uh, think, what, just two weeks ago, the uh, mayor made a suggestion about a million dollars in funding uh, each year for the next five years. And we would love to see that, but we would love to see that uh, dedicated in a direct way to help uh, make in, make an impact and not uh, just kind of spread out, um, but uh, but but dedicated with a, a nationally organized group that has done this work, put in the time and energy before uh, that can help you know help us uh, in uh, recover from this. Uh, epidemic that we were going through. Uh, 300 shootings in the last four years, 100 shooting deaths. Um, and that that cost to the community is great, not just in numbers, but in uh, in financial costs as well. And, and not just as you indicated, uh, having this working group, this task force together to take it from the top, but to look at best practices elsewhere, what has been effective, what hasn't been, and how we can avoid some of those pitfalls and and be more focused in response. Correct. And one of those many uh, have shown is that it's not just broad, uh, broad-based programming uh, for kids or teenagers, as, as, as helpful as those are, but it is uh, – Directly impacting the you know couple hundred of individuals that are perpetuating this violence, uh, it, you know it's not everyone. Uh, this, we would have a much bigger problem on our hands. It is a small group of young black males, and we want 
to help. And that is the key thing. We want to help keep uh, the gun violence down, but also help them um, uh, in their lives and their families. Uh, we want to see them succeed in life. Uh, and, and so uh, that, that's the other part of that. It's not just lowering gun violence, but lowering gun violence and uh, helping uh, the community as well and helping those families. Yeah, much has been said, though, about that. Again, the 15 to 25 primarily African-American male cohort that is responsible for the preponderance of these kinds of situations. Also not being well-churched. Um, when you go to some of these meetings, you don't see a lot of these potential uh, demographic <laughs> folks. At, at How do you reach them since most of them are unchurched? You don't see them in the pews on Sunday. How do you get to them? Well, what I, mechanisms? Um, I think one of them is you know actually being out in the community. Uh, one of the things that we did when I was a youth minister was you know uh, to help affect a, a young person. It wasn't just them being in church, but you had to have five people that they had a good relationship with, and it is building relationships with uh, with the families, with the kids. Uh, to, to find out what exactly is going on in the home so that we can help them, whether that's whether they need uh, transportation or a job or education, how can we help? That's the question our community needs to be asking uh, these young teenagers, even into their 20s, how can we help them succeed in life and get away from the gun violence culture? One of those issues perhaps is the lack of affordable housing in the community that I think I heard at the rally recently that there was a direct connection there. And, and Sister Centuria, let, let me ask you about that. What do you see, since you were on the, the affordable housing part of this, though, what do you, connection do you see between that and what we were just talking about with youthful gun violence? Is there a connection, do you think? I do think there's a connection. Um, you know, in the classroom, I just see so much as an educator. You just see so much and um children are displaying certain characteristics and those characteristics which they probably you know may have um, picked up from siblings and you know and it all more than likely stems from the lack of affordable housing just acting out you know and it's so unfortunate well, how do you address that then, since you sat on the committee and you studied the problem extensively and came up with some possible solutions to the affordable housing thing? Uh, tell us about that. What did you find? Well, in our research, we found that 23,000 low-income families across Leon County, most of these families have children, are paying way too much for their housing. And that means they're they're also struggling to pay for food and childcare and medicine. Everything else becomes a struggle when you can't even afford to, the roof over your head. So everything becomes a struggle because there's no stability. There's no shelter. And you're talking essentially then families that are in a constant state of trauma, which can exacerbate all other kinds of issues then, right? Yes, sir, exactly. Okay. Okay. Bob Apgar, uh, you were with uh, Sister Centuria here on the the housing strategy team. And uh, I can even hear some folks right now saying, oh, this is just a factor of market forces 
that that's why prices are going up and housing's becoming less affordable. And it's, this is just the way the world is. How do we address this? <clears throat> well, Tom, <clears throat> market forces are certainly at play here. But we've got 26,000 families renting in our community who, as Sister Centuria said, are paying too much for their housing. And that's putting them on the verge of becoming homeless practically every month. One unexpected medical expense or automobile repair expense can cause them to miss a rent payment, and they may, be, may lose their housing right away over that. And in our research, we found that these folks are probably never going to be able to afford a home. They will be renting. So we have to pay attention to the needs for these renters. Um, all the city and county have sound, affordable housing programs, but they're all focused on home ownership, and that's a good goal. Home ownership is the way families build wealth, but we can't e- ignore 26,000 families that must rent, that are seeing the rent soaring, but and incomes are not keeping pace with those increases. So we need to provide in our community more rental housing for low-income families, and that's been our that's what been our focus uh, on the affordable housing research group. Well, yeah, Elder uh, Allen, you have been working on this thing too, and. It has been suggested in uh, some real estate uh, circles of my acquaintance that the preponderance of luxury student housing has been another underpinning of this constant rise in rentals here in our community. And since new development is permitted through rezoning and other mechanisms here through local government, do you see that as a possible solution to build into our zoning ordinances and protocols, the requirement that a certain percentage of new rental units fall under that affordable housing category? Yeah, like you said, with the um, inflation of the rising economy right now, um, the environment is conducive to um, contractors to build and for um, realtors to sell and multifamily homes to um, be invested in. And so with these reconstructions, we need, we need these contractors and these builders and these, these owners to think about those um, that need affordable housing, right? We need them to not only line um, their bottom line, but they need to think about those who cannot afford um, the housing that they're building. And we are displacing on the south side a community of people um, for this ah, type of gentrification, you might call it, so to speak, um, so that we could silver line the downtown South Orange area and make it more palatable to those that can afford um, that type of rental income, possibly student housing, right? Um, as you're paralleling um, gun violence to affordable housing, the environment stimulates everything, right? So if I can't afford to live where I'm living, what is the next available action to me if my um, minimum income um, job doesn't meet or doesn't uh, fit the, the budget, right? It doesn't pay all the bills. You're going to think about those um, extenuating circumstances where you're going to go out and possibly do something 
um, that's not legal in order to um, fulfill that bottom line. Um, reasoning is one thing, but education is a whole nother thing. So um, we want our guys educated. Student housing is developed because we want people educated so that they can go out and make sound, good decisions to um, live a peaceful life. Youthful gun violence, affordable housing, two of the initial focus points of the Capital Area Justice Ministry, the leadership of which is here with us on Perspectives. would love to hear from you, too. 850-414-1234. Pastor Houston, how do you see this playing out? Now that you have the attention of local government on this, and we have some ideas floating around this table that you have come up with to help exacerbate some of these problems here. How do you see, again, the local government officials taking this this proverbial bull by the horns and moving forward with it? What I see is that uh, um, our officials, I believe they all have good hearts. I believe they want what's best for the people. And therefore, I believe when they come out to this action, they're going to let the, 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 the spirit man come forth. And they're going to react to this critical situation that we have. And we, we, it's under the guise of justice. It is justice because injustice has been done so long for our people that now is the time for them to t- step up and take action. When I... Um, I don't, I don't want to make a testimony, but when I started with this, all I could see was the people. Love God, love people. And I love people. And I think that uh, gov- our government officials should have that uh, perspective in mind for the people. So I think we're going to have a successful action. I think we're going to get what we need to get for gun violence, and we're going to get something done on affordable housing. Not just from a clerical or a congregational viewpoint, but let's look at the congregation. Rabbi Shields, is this also an opportunity for all of these different um, uh, churches, your synagogue and others, to bring home the point that I think everyone's been talking from the pulpit for years and years, that this is an important part of a, a faithful response to a community need and that everyone needs to jump on this. Absolutely. And, and listen, we are a diverse ministry increasingly as we continue to grow. And, but what I keep in my mind, while I may be Jewish and my partner here, Pastor Houston, not, it is clear from our scripture, from our love of people, that we are all justice people. And that's what binds us together. And by the way, um, I have reached out to people who maybe aren't as comfortable with God language as many of us around this table are and said, well, listen, I understand that one of God's names is justice. Another name of God is love. So even if you're a little uncomfortable with the God language, do you believe in justice? Do you believe in love? And so that is something that can not just bind together people who, who... you know, prescribed to a specific faith, but it can bind together a community. And this is something where we need everybody on board. We are like David versus Goliath. And other people will say, how can you possibly be successful? How can you be successful? 
Whereas we look at it, I think, like we're King David and injustice is so big. How can we miss? And so that is, I think, the perspective we need to bring. We have to start somewhere. We don't have the, the, the obligation to complete the work, but we most definitely have the sacred obligation to take it up. The consumption of the elephant a little bit at a time and eventually the elephant disappears or at least is a lot smaller than it, it used to be. Uh, Father Chapman, same, same type of situation here again to energize when you look at the just these nearly 20 congregations. You're looking thousands of people in this community that can be brought to put their attention and their concern into these issues. Absolutely. And uh, I think there's an opportunity for us to invite the community to look at the issues that we have considered, investigated. The fact that we had one individual who chose Dr. Thomas, works at the city, um, heads up an organization called Tempo. And he was able to go into a community all by himself, I would say at great personal risk, and begin a conversation with the young men who were hanging out. And out of that has come an organization. Some 350 young people were, were encouraged to go back to school, um, get jobs, and some of them are on their way to uh, becoming part of the TCC family and hopefully FAMU. So this is a hopeful sign that when people work together, great things happen. I'm, I'm, I'm borrowing a phrase from the eye care organization in Jacksonville that I was a part of, that, that once you focus on this problem, we recognize it and we realize what could possibly be done accepting the fact that we actually owe it to these young people, then, then yes, yes, we can come together and make a difference, which is what the Capital Area Justice Ministry wants to do. We're promoting justice, of course, but we're bettering lives. And renormalizing behavior that is typical or accepted in large parts of the community. Oh, this is the way things happen. When this occurs, here's how I respond, or I am responded to, and that's just the way it is. Whereas you're saying, no, no, it doesn't have to be that way. There can be a better way, a, a less violent, a more productive, a, a happier way to be. Yeah. Um I would say there needs to be an attitudinal change. We've got to take young people more seriously. We've got to listen to their complaints. All of that is true, but we have to hold them accountable for their actions. And, and you know, our, our research has shown that it's a small number of young black males who are committing the majority of the gun violence. Well, we need to reach those young people, you know, and, and show them a better way. And most of all, let them know there is hope. It reminds me of a, a proverb about a lost sheep, and the others were kind of set off to the side, and we went out looking for the one that was lost. Yep. Yeah, as we wax biblical here on Perspectives. We'll be right back. Don't go away.
Members of the Capital Area Justice Ministry here with us in the run-up to April 5th's Nehemiah Action Get-Together at the Old West Florida Enrichment Center. You're wondering about the meaning of Nehemiah. We will get to that in a second. But first, we're going to get to Reed. He is waiting patiently on Line 6 to join the conversation here on Perspectives. Reed, good to hear from you, sir. Good morning, Tom. How are you all doing this morning? I, I see happy, smiling faces around the table, Reed. Well, that's good, I guess. It's a, it's a tough, it's a tough uh, issue you're discussing. Um, I understand, I, I missed it, the first part of the show, but I do understand that you had some discussions about the perpetrators of stolen guns. What I'm concerned about is what happens to those guns after they're reported stolen. You know, I I had a break-in in my trailer in Tallahassee years ago when TPD came to my door. I showed them that my guitar, my computer, my Vicodin, (laughs) it was all still there. But a change jar had been stolen. I said, okay. These are kids. If you go over here to the to the grocery store behind me, ask them for their video, you'll find out who stole 60-some-odd dollars in change from my trailer. That never happened. I wonder how many stolen guns get recovered over the course of the year. I mean, think about it. John Marks, when he was mayor used to have these gun buybacks. I haven't heard of that in a long time. Uh, And every guy who gets a gun stolen from him, or every lady who gets a gun stolen from him, they're going to go out and buy another gun. And so that's just exponentially increasing the amount of guns on the street, and we're not retrieving any of them. Well, let's check on this here, Reed. If you can hang on a second, let's give Rabbi Shields an opportunity to respond to that because he, I uh, think, has uh, at least some points that, that might impinge on it. Go ahead, Rabbi. Listen, very. that's an important detail f- to be taken up. However, it's not about the guns themselves for us. It's, it's, an, it's about the issue of redirecting those who are part of these social networks that, that commit this violence And I'd also say that it's about closing a hope gap between the haves and the have-nots. And I really think this is critical. It impacts everything that we're talking about justice-wise. That when I think about my children, I am making plans for their college education. I am in some way imagining maybe them finding a partner and and being at their wedding. And they're five and nine. And this was so profound when one of our, our, our colleagues, a pastor, shared this, that there are people for whom success is being alive tomorrow. And when we have such a gap in hope and opportunity, and both of these people, both my children are your neighbors, as are the children of our neighbors, and we're basically letting our neighbors die in the street— that gap has to be bridged. It has to be about the human beings created in the image of God and that our society is failing in upholding and bringing God's love, God's justice into 
our community, our little corner of the world. And so if we can bring hope, then I think that will be a huge part of the solution. And there are lots of gun buyback programs and things that can can help in that regard. But our focus is bringing hope and redirecting those those at-risk youth who are part of these social networks to be able to see beyond tomorrow. Uh, A changing minds or mental state, changing behaviors. It's a continuum of of response then that we're looking at uh, to try to affect these kinds of more desirable outcomes that we're all talking about here. Yes, and it's holistic, right? It's a systemic thing. When there's a systemic thing, whether it's a workplace or a whole community, you can't just say, well, Tom Flanagan's the problem. So if we just, you know, sideline Tom Flanagan, everything will be perfect. And we have to be very, very careful. And so these issues, why they might seem simple in some ways, they're very complex and there needs to be a community solution, a holistic solution that looks at many different variables and realize that these are our children. We claim them all. And therefore, we have shared responsibility. We have people power. And that is what the Nehemiah Action is about, is saying to our elected officials, we we are the people, we have the power, and you have the responsibility. Beautiful handoff. Elder Allen, what is Nehemiah? What is that story? What's that all about? I mean, Nehemiah heard the voice of the people. And what it was is the people were oppressed um, in layman's terms, and they were afflicted in many types of ways. And so as they were afflicted, the voices of those people came to Nehemiah, and they basically pricked Nehemiah's heart. He felt horrible for them, and he was angry because of their affliction. So he stated that he's going to raise up, no matter what, his voice and speak to the powers that be and be a voice for the people. And that's what the Capital Area Justice Ministry is all about. We want to stand up for the people and be a voice uh, for the community. We want their issues brought to light. And again, when you're thinking about um, isolating one particular solution for a broad topic such as gun violence, it's very hard to do, as Rabbi Schild said, this is a holistic view. And it's going to take a community of people to come together to collectively do uh, research that collectively can come together and have a solution and implement it, put it into action. That way we can move forward together as a community. Not one individual can control the response of the community, nor do we want that response to be a tailored response based on the powers that be and how they want us to respond. We want it to be a community effort. We want the voice of the people. We want that share of voice to raise. We want to capitalize on that share of voice, and we want what's going to happen for the we, the community. Because usually... Reverend Mueller, when the community responds to these situations, when it comes to youthful gun violence, you have arrest, you have conviction, you have incarceration, and by the time these young people, if they ever get out of prison years and years down the road, they may be really amenable to these messages. There's a lot of uh, uh, jail cell conversions, as we all know, but it's a little bit late, isn't it? You know, I think that there is... you know, possibility for redemption in, in anybody's case. I mean, that, that's what we believe as uh, as people of faith, that nobody's 
too far gone. Uh, you mentioned the parable of the lost sheep before we went to break a minute ago, and uh, this Sunday's uh, sermon is on uh, the prodigal son. So uh, no one is uh, is ever too far gone, but you know we want to uh, hopefully affect change before you know they get to that point. Before they grasp for that gun, we want to uh, offer them hope, as uh, Rabbi Shields mentioned, before it gets to that point. Tissa joins us here on Line 6 on Perspectives as we continue our discussion with the leadership of the Capital Area Justice Ministry. Tissa, thanks for calling. Welcome to Perspectives. Yes, go ahead, Tissa. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say that, that this um, this topic is really near and dear to my heart, and um, I love the idea that there's a bunch of different faiths coming together to work on these issues. And I'm wondering um, what kind of congregations besides who is talking today is are represented um, in the ministry and um, and how can my congregation get involved if we are not already part of Capital Area Justice Ministry? What a great question. Who wants to handle it here? Uh, I guess I'll take that one, Tom. It's <laughs> like I'm on a game show. Um, well, listen, there are currently... Um, What's interesting, there, there are 17, I think, officially covenanted members of the ministry currently. But as we've seen registrations come in for the Nehemiah action, there are more than 23 different congregations represented among those registrations. And, and so really, this is something that we want. This is people power. We want everybody. We want the diversity of our voices is so important. And frankly, the way that because we see and perceive of God differently— we look through different eyes. Well, the greatness of God is is expanded because I can see God through Pastor Houston's eyes, and he can see it, see God and that those values through mine, and we can help expand each other's vision of possibility in the community. And so, the way that you can get involved is register. Go to capilareajustice.org and register and put your congregation. Uh, put your congregation's uh, information in there and reach out to our organizer, Leah Wiley. And and so we really, it's Leah at the Dart Center, uh, org. but really go to the capitalareajustice.org website, register for the Nehemiah Action, gather a small group of your people from your congregation and bring them with you to the action. And then right after the action, we will reach out to you because we'll see, oh, my gosh, there's six people who registered from um, the Islamic Center. There's, oh, my gosh, nine people from, uh, you know, the Mormon community or where, whatever you are. We welcome you with open arms because this ministry is about all of us. And so please do reach out um, to any one of us, but capitalareajustice.org is a great connecting point. Yes, given the diversity of theology that is represented uh, just around this table and then thinking of the other congregations that are involved in this effort, it is, uh, I don't want to say unusual, but it's certainly reassuring that uh, we can overcome maybe some of our differences to focus on some common goals and objectives that that we want. And Sister Centuria, let, let me ask you, and, and we'll go around the table here on this one too, in the wake of the upcoming Nehemiah action gathering here, what do you hope to see and how do you envision this playing out? Once you got the full attention and hopefully buy-in of the elected officials that have been uh, invited to participate as well as more members of the community, what happens then? 
I just, I'm just um, expecting great things. I'm expecting us to to continue to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. And I know that if we continue to come together and put God first, God is going to honor our efforts. It hasn't been easy, and we may even experience some tension, but we're going to continue to go forth because we're all connected for the cause of justice. Okay, let me run that by uh, Bob Apgar from uh, Faith Presbyterian, too. Uh, right after this is over, Bob, then what? We're, <clears throat> we're going to ask the public officials to create a dedicated trust fund for very low-income housing. We're going to ask them to put a substantial amount of the COVID relief funds that are coming to us into that trust fund, and we're going to ask them to identify continuing revenue streams so that money will continue to flow into that trust fund and that those funds be applied to develop and create affordable housing for low low and very low income renters. And I want to emphasize that we're talking about workforce housing here. These people have jobs, they work, but rents are far outpacing their income. And they're our neighbors. They do our laundry. They look after our children. Uh, You know, doing justice in our community requires us to attend to everyone's needs. And these people have a a particularly critical need at this time. Yes. Elder Allen, your thoughts, sir. So these ask will be sustainable assets. We're going to follow up with the ask. We're going to hopefully make sure the ask are implemented and that they're going well um, collectively uh, from the city officials also with the community and also with the Capital Area Justice Ministry. We're going to have to work together on this. This is not us asking and then leaving uh, the ball in their hands, so to speak, but we're going to all have to play as a team. So we're going to follow up. We have segmented days that we're going to follow up. One of them's a 90-day timeline, and I suspect there's probably going to be a 120-day timeline. And then after that, you know, a year from now, we're going to look back on this and see the work that's been done. We're going to give God praise for that. And then we're going to keep moving forward and make this city a city of God. That is the underlining um, um, foundation that we're building this up on, is that we're going to make this a city, a, uh, the city a city of God, that we're going to be uh, God's people, um, not just individuals in organizations and uh, denominations. Um, I come from the noisy crew, but some are quiet, you know, so... <laughs> So we're going we're gonna to be together on this. We're going to be a community. We're going to be a community. Yeah, speaking of quiet, Father Chapman. <laughs> no, no. Why, why do I get the impression you're picking on me? Uh, <clears throat> but um, more seriously, uh, I think that my expectation is that there's going to be a continuing dialogue. We're bringing the community together, as Nehemiah sought to do. And out of that, I'm sure greater concern has got to be shown we can become more aware of those people who seem to be excluded at the moment, and particularly those young men who are on the side of the streets, you know, who God in heaven knows what will happen to them next. That is going to be a really interesting outreach ministry, I think, to do that. Reverend Mueller, your thoughts here, sir, in the few moments we have left. Well, it's not only... uh 
following up, uh, but also uh, doing this again next year and building off of this momentum that we're uh, creating in year one uh, to continue to find the problems in our community uh, to help, uh, again, as Pastor Allen said, make this a city of God. Okay. And and the two co-presidents of the Capital Area Justice Ministry. And uh, let's start with you, Rabbi Shields, your thoughts. Well, I'm just honored to walk this path. Um, And the other thing I'd say is that, um, listen, at our first meeting, my folks, right, we're one of the non-Christian organizations. And listen, we all come from our own particularity. And so for them to hear how their neighbors pray can sometimes be Let's call it off-putting, but when you translate what people are saying, their passion for justice, and you you basically translate in your head, okay, so this is how they've prayed their whole life, and they're just as passionate as I am about justice, then then you first learn about each other, but you also say, I, I can translate for them. They're call, calling – they're being called to this work from their deep faith. And I think the same message extends to people maybe who are searching on a faith journey or they connect to the world – in a larger way. So I please, I, I ask those who maybe say, well, there's not a place for me at this justice table because I don't go to church. I am not religious. That is false. So if you can please, I beg you, I know it's hard, but if when we say city of God, we believe it and we mean it. But city of God means a city that embraces those attributes of our of of who we call our divine creator that all of us are unified around justice and love and righteousness and respect for every single person simply because they exist. I would say they're created in the image of God, but simply because they exist. And so we invite, because listen, I am, we are cognizant that 40, 50% of people do not, are not churched or synagogued. <laughs> we want you to be partners in this too. Your voice matters and you can make this a, a more holy a more special, more righteous and justice city. Okay, and I want to just in the second we have left say, Pastor Houston, it is a delight to know you, sir, and I can't wait to see how this plays out here coming up at the Nehemiah Action on the 5th of April, right down the street here at the uh, West Florida Ministry Center. Thank you so much. We're glad to be here. Um, one last thing, that we, 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 this Capital of Justice Ministry provides a voice for people who may not have a voice. You have been our voice today, sir. We appreciate that. And thank you all for being part of Perspectives. We will see you next week right here on WFSU Public Media. Take care. <laughs>